Good morning, my name is Paul, I'm one of the pastors here. We're about to hear the, the Bible read, so on your seats you, foot, you should find a black coloured Bible, and Kate's about to come and read that to us. Uh, our reading this morning is um, on page 419, it's from the book of Nehemiah, so if you just joined us, this is a, a little book in the Old Testament, it's about 445 BC, uh, and in the first few chapters of Nehemiah, God's people have come back to the land and they've been rebuilding the city walls. It's a picture of, of God's people being in God's place under God's protection, living distinctive lives as God's people. In chapter 8 of Nehemiah, uh, the word of God was opened and people were rejoicing and they were celebrating about how good God is. In our reading today, they are mourning and they're weeping over their sin. Uh, They sit for half a day and listen to God's word. Uh, And they spend hours and hours acknowledging they failed God. Uh, And the Levites, uh, they encourage God's people to, to understand who God is. And that's what we're about to hear from Nehemiah chapter nine, the character of our gods. This is Kate, she'll bring us our Bible reading. We're going to start reading halfway through verse 5. So um, Nehemiah chapter 9, halfway through verse 5. Blessed be your glorious name, and may it be exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all their starry host, the earth and all that is in it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to everything, and the multitudes of heaven worship you. You are the Lord God, who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and named him Abraham. You found his heart faithful to you, and you made a covenant with him to give to his descendants the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Jebusites, and Girgashites. You have kept your promise because you are righteous. You saw the suffering of our ancestors in Egypt. You heard their cry at the Red Sea. You sent signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all his officials and all the people of his land, for you knew how arrogantly the Egyptians treated them. You made a name for yourself, which remains to this day. You divided the sea before them so that they passed through it on dry ground but you hurled their pursuers into the depths like a stone into mighty waters. By day you led them with a pillar of cloud and by night with a pillar of fire to give them light on the way they were to take. You came down on Mount Sinai. You spoke to them from heaven. You gave them regulations and laws that are just and right and decrees and commands that are good. You made known to them your holy Sabbath and gave them commands, decrees, and laws through your servant Moses. In their hunger, you gave them bread from heaven, and in their thirst, you brought them water from the rock. You told them to go in and take possession of the land you had sworn with uplifted hand to give them. But they, our ancestors, became arrogant and stiff-necked, and they did not obey your commands. They refused to listen and failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. They became stiff-necked and in their rebellion appointed a leader in order to return to their slavery. But you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, 
slow to anger and abounding in love. Therefore, you do not desert them, even when they cast for themselves an image of a calf and said, this is your God who brought you out of Egypt, or when they committed awful blasphemies. Because of your great compassion, you did not abandon them in the wilderness. By day, the pillar of cloud did not fail to guide them on their path, nor the pillar of fire by night to shine on the way they were to take. You gave your good spirit to instruct them. You did not withhold your manna from their mouths, and you gave them water for their thirst. For 40 years you sustained them in the wilderness. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, nor did their feet become swollen. This is the word of the Lord. Let's be to God. Thanks, Kate. I want to share just a few stories to begin this morning. Uh, this is uh, Dave, Dave's story. Uh, so Dave grew up in church. Uh, he was a minister's kid, actually. And so he went to Sunday school, went to scripture in school, read the Bible at home. He knew all about God. But Dave decided he didn't need God. And Dave decided he could do life without God. And Dave decided he knew better than God. Uh, so Dave decided to spend his life doing drinking and drugs and prostitutes and promiscuity. And he thought, I could do life better without God. Treated his family really badly, but his family kept on welcoming him back. But, you know, he was happy, wasn't he? Happy living his life without God. Uh, The truth was he wasn't happy. And he realized that life was empty and life was futile without God. And so one day in a room up in Darwin, he cried out to God. A simple prayer of desperation. Let me ask you, what do you think God said to Dave? Stuff you, Dave, you've you've made your bed, now lie in it. Stuff you, Dave, you've chosen your path, now bear the consequences. Stuff you, Dave, you you tried to do life without me, go, go your own way. Of course he didn't. Our God is loving, gracious, and very, very compassionate, and he fully forgives. Dave cried out to God, and God saved him. That's Dave's story. Justin's story is similar but different. Justin grew up in church. Uh, He didn't blatantly rebel against God. He just subtly ignored God. He led a good life, a nice life, with a nice job, with a nice house, with nice family, and just spent all his days living a good life, keeping God on the sidelines. Uh, Dave's dad, Justin's dad was a believer, praying for his son all the time to turn back to God. And there's niggling doubt in Justin's mind, thinking, there's something missing in my life. Uh, one day, about eight years ago now, Justin walked through these doors, age 52. Spent, what, 34 years without God? And he, he didn't know why he'd come into this church. And it wasn't actually the sermon that grabbed it. It was the music. It was the songs. The songs about God's love and the songs about God's grace and the songs about God's forgiveness. And suddenly Justin realized he needed God. And so Justin cried out to God. Now, what did God say to Justin? Stuff you, Justin. You've ignored me for 34 years. Of course he didn't. 
Our God is loving and gracious and compassionate and he always forgives. Corey's story is a bit different. Corey walked into St. Augustine's Neutral Bay in November 2017 and Corey was not used to church, hadn't grown up in church, didn't know the Bible stories, didn't know why he was there except life was a mess and he hit rock bottom. He describes how sitting in church at 8 o'clock church actually experiencing a peace and experiencing a comfort and experiencing something he couldn't understand. But he realized that God loved him and he realized that God could forgive him. And so Corey cried out to God. Now what did God say to Corey? Stuff you, Corey, you don't belong in church. Of course he didn't. Why? Because God is compassionate, loving, gracious, and fully forgives. Uh, three different blokes. Three different stories. They all did one thing, didn't they? They cried out to God. And our God is loving and compassionate and gracious and forgiving. I, I don't know your story. I don't know why you're here this morning. But we all need to cry out to God. And when we do cry out to God, he's always loving and gracious and compassionate and always, always, always forgives. I've got a very, very simple sermon this morning. It's on the screen. God is faithful and we are not. That's it this morning. God is faithful and we are not. Can you remember that this week? God is faithful and we are not. In Nehemiah chapter 9, God's people cry out to their God because life is hard, life is tough, life's a bit of a mess. They're back in God's place, but they're not experiencing God's blessings. Look to the end of the chapter, verses 36 and 37. God's people say, we are slaves today. We're not enjoying this freedom in the land. We're slaves in the land you gave to our, our forefather, our ancestors this land was supposed to produce fruit and other good things, but we're not enjoying it. Why? Verse 37, because of our sins, because of our rebellion, because of the way we've ignored you, God. It's abundant harvest goes to these kings you've placed over us, but these kings do not know God. And they rule over our bodies. Now look at those last five words. We are in great distress. That really sums up how God's people feel. We are in great distress. Maybe that's how you feel today. In great distress. Maybe health distress, financial distress, relational distress, parental distress, career distress. Let me ask you, when you are in distress, who do you turn to? Who do you cry out to? Who do you talk to? And how do you know the people that you talk to are going to listen? And how do you know the people you talk to can help you? In Nehemiah 9, people cry out to God. But how do they know that God will listen? How do they know that God will hear? How do they know that God will help them? I mean, why should God bother with them? Why should God bother with them when they've ignored him for so long? Because God is faithful. God is always faithful, always kind, always forgiving, always gracious, always loving, and slow to anger. Let's discover this faithful God. 
Do you hear what the Levites asked the people to say? Verse 5, stand up and praise the Lord your God who is from everlasting to everlasting. That's the faithful God. He is eternal. He is unchanging. Our faithful God, verse 6, is the Lord. You alone are the Lord. You are unique God. There is no other. You are God and we are not. You're not dependent on us, God, but we're dependent on you. Verse 6, you made the heavens. You are the creator God that we cry out to. He made everything, verse 6, even the highest heavens and all their starry hosts. There is nothing that has not been made by God. We all belong to him. Verse 6, you give life to everything. Every breath we take comes from our gracious God. I hope you know that about God. The Bible says that God knits us together in our mother's womb. He knows every hair on our head. He knows every star by name. That's our God. He's so majestic and so awesome. He's a faithful God who keeps his promises. In verse 7, we meet a man called Abraham. And just so you know, Abraham was a bit of a nobody. An unlikely man who was old and he was childless. And God often picks unlikely people from unlikely places to do his work. And God chose Abraham and he knew Abraham and he made a promise to Abraham. He made a covenant, verse 8. It's a binding promise that he would take God's people into a beautiful place and make them a great people. And our faithful God kept that promise. Look at verse 8, because he is righteous. That's what God is like. He always does what is right. He does what he says he will do. He is so faithful. Always keeps every promise he's ever made. He's faithful, verse 9, because he protects his people. I love verse 9. You saw the suffering of our ancestors in Egypt and you heard their cry. Do you, ever, do you realize that God has eyes that sees and ears that hears you? When you're in distress, he sees your suffering. When you, you cry out, he hears your pain. If you know the book of Exodus, God's people are in pain, they're in slavery. And God powerfully protects them and delivers them. God is very powerful, but he's also loving, you know. Love without power is nice, but it's helpless. Power without love is very dangerous. But when you have love and power together, it's just beautiful. And that's our God. He sees their suffering. He did something about it. Verse 10, he sent the plagues against the mighty Pharaoh. He rescued his people from the power of Pharaoh. Verse 11, God's people are coming towards this, this sea and they're being chased by the army, by their enemies. And God in his power divides the sea before their very eyes. And they pass through on dry ground, verse 11. How good is God? Verse 12, he protects them by leading them, day and night, leading them, leading them through the wilderness. That's our God. He keeps his promises. He protects his people. He provides so graciously. The word provide or give comes 14 times in this chapter. God gives, God gives, God gives, God gives. 
Verse 13, God gives them words. He speaks to his people. He's not silent. Verse 13, he gives them what they need spiritually and morally. He gives these commands that are good and right and pure, the best way to live. He provides them with rest in verse 14, a Sabbath rest, which is good for our bodies and our souls. Verse 15, he provides them materially. They're hungry, so he gives them bread from heaven. They are thirsty, so he brings water from a rock. He, he does the miraculous to provide for his people. This extraordinary picture of a faithful God who promises, protects, and provides. How good is God to his people? So how do God's people respond? Surely they adore him and they praise him and they worship him and they obey him. Let me tell you Toby's story. Toby lived with his mum and dad for 18 years. 18 years living in the house, great food, great house. They clothed him, they fed him. They're the type of parents who went to every single soccer game and every single school concert and they loved him and they spent hours and hours and hours patiently doing homework with him and they listened to him and they cared for him when he was upset and everyone at school thought Toby's parents were the bee's knees, the best parents in the world. Except Toby. Toby lived in the house and ignored them. Barely spoke to them. Grunted at them. And then one day told his parents that they were the worst parents in the world and he hated them and they were mean and cruel. When his parents turned up at his university graduation, Toby pretended not to know them. Now doesn't that make you angry? What a little brat Toby was, is. What about his parents? How would you feel if that was your kid and you'd given them everything they ever wanted and they treat you so badly? That's what happens in the story. God has provided, God has protected, God is present with them. But these little brats called God's people They are so ungrateful. Verse 16, they, our ancestors, became arrogant or stubborn and stiff-necked and presumptuous and ungrateful. And they they took what God gave them, but they wanted nothing to do with God. They did not obey your commands. They turned their back on God's word. They said, we know better than you, God. Or verse 17, like little kids who stick their fingers in their ears, they refuse to listen. Not listening, God. And they had spiritual amnesia. They failed to remember what God had done for them. They forgot how good God had been to them. And if you know the Bibles, when they go into the wilderness and life is a bit difficult, a bit tough, they start to grumble and whinge and complain and say, if this is how God treats us, forget it, God. It's like Toby. They take and they consume and they are ungrateful and they are rude and they are rebellious. It's a bit like when you go to McDonald's and see this poor parent trying to control a child who you just bought a Happy Meal for, but they're having a temper tantrum because you refuse to buy them a soft-serve cone. And they are screaming, saying, you don't like me, mummy, you're awful, mummy. You're thinking, what a little brat. Those poor parents. So we expect God to say to his people, okay, 
You've chosen your bed, now lie in it. Stuff you. I've given you everything, and yet you refuse to obey me. You refuse to love me. Stuff you. I'm done with you. We expect God to say that, don't we? Look at verse 17. Halfway through it. Two little words. But you, God. But you. But you, God, are forgiving, gracious, compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. That's our God. You know, we sing about it. You're rich in love and you're slow to anger. Your name is great and your heart is kind. For all your goodness, we will keep on singing 10,000 reasons for my heart to find. We sing it, but we don't believe it. Our God always forgives. That word forgiveness means that God knows your failures, knows your rebellions, knows your sins, sees it, and wipes your slate clean, chucks it to the bottom of the ocean. It does not hold it against you. That, that word gracious means that he pours out his undeserved kindness on you. You deserve nothing from God, and he gives you everything. That word compassionate is more of a feeling and an action that work together. He is kind. His motivation is always good. Slow to anger. He has a very, 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 very long fuse. Patiently pouring out his love. A love that's abounding, is overflowing. It's a never-ending source of love that will never dry up. We're not faithful. We are rebellious. We are disobedient, we are ungrateful, we are stubborn. But you, God, are forgiving, gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. So they learned their lesson, did they? Of course they didn't. If you know the rest of the Bible, it's this, this history keeps on repeating themselves. God's people keep on stuffing up and God's people keep on being ungrateful. Verse 19, he he is present with them by day and by night, a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. He never leaves them. He never forsakes them, even when they worship this golden calf. Verse 20, he keeps on speaking to them by his good spirit. Good words from a good God. He keeps on giving them food in verse 20. More food, more water. Love verse 21. For 40 years, God sustained them and they lacked nothing. They had everything they needed for 40 long years, food and clothes and feet that did not swell. And he keeps on giving military success, verse 23, numerical success, verse 23, a land and a home and some food. They had everything they wanted and they lived an indulgent life. And they all lived happily ever after? No. No. Verse 26, but they were disobedient again and rebellious again and turned their back on your law again and they refused to listen again and they were ungrateful again and again and again and again and again. See, God is faithful. God provides, God protects, God is present and he keeps his promises. And there's two ways to read Nehemiah chapter 9. You can read Nehemiah 9 and think, gosh, these people are so stupid. How could they be so stupid and so ungrateful and so hard-hearted? What were they thinking? 
God had done everything for them. How could they be so blind to God? It's like the person who sits and listens to a sermon and says, oh, I wish my friend was here to hear that. They need to hear that. You could read it like that and say, they are so stupid. That's not why it's here. It's here to say, this is me and this is you. This history lesson is for you and for me. We are these people. Because the people in Moses' day are no different from the people in Nehemiah's day and they're no different from people today. We're all like this. Experience God's goodness, his provision, his protection, his promises, his blessings. But living life as though we know best. God is faithful and we are not. That's what I want to share with you this morning, the best news in the world. The most important thing you'll ever hear. That God keeps on loving you with a lavish, never-ending, constant, undeserving love. He's always forgiving, always gracious, always compassionate, and always, always, always loving. See, we're in distress. All of us here are in distress. And like the Israelites, we need to do three things. We need to admit our need. Admit your need for God. Admit you're in distress. Admit you've ignored God. Admit that you've been stupid and forgotten how good God is. That's what God's people do. They recognize that they're part of the problem. They are the problem, not God. Verse 3 says, we have acted wickedly. You acted faithfully, God, while we acted wickedly. Verse 37 says, because of our sins... Because of the way that we've not listened to you, God, we've not obeyed you, God, we are responsible, God. We are so sorry, God. They admitted their need for God. You ever done that? Do you constantly do that? Admit that you need God every minute of every hour of every day. The odds are not good for us. We all fail, we all stuff up. We all live in God's world, breathe his air, take his stuff, enjoy his creation and give no thought to his kind, gracious hands. And the Bible calls that sin. Ignoring God, disobeying God, trying to live without him. So before God can forgive you, you've got to admit that you need forgiveness. If you're here this morning and you are thinking, but Paul, you don't know how bad I really am. I don't. But God does. And he's still willing to forgive you. I don't need to know. God already knows. So admit your need. Secondly, ask God for help. Ask God to help you. Cry out to him. And the point of this sermon is very simple. You need to know the God you're crying out to. You need to know the God that you're asking. What is he like? If he can't help you, there's no, there's no point in crying out to him. If he's going to say, go away, stuff you, why would you cry out to him? Remember, God is always forgiving, always gracious, always compassionate, and always loving. That's the God that you ask. I'm sure we've all heard of Billy Graham, yep. Have you heard Ruth Graham's story, his daughter's story? Let me read you her story. After 21 years, my marriage ended in divorce. I was devastated. I was floundered. I I did a lot wrong, but the rug was pulled out from under my feet. 
My family thought it would be a good idea for me to move away to get a fresh start, so I decided to live near my sister and near a good church. The pastor of that church introduced me to a handsome widower, and we began to date fast and furiously. My children didn't like him, but I thought that I knew best. They didn't know, they couldn't tell me what to do. I knew what was best for my life. My mother called me from Seattle and my father called me from Tokyo and they said, honey, why don't you slow things down? Just get to know him a bit better. What did they know, I thought. So being very stubborn and willful and sinful, I married this man on New Year's Eve. Within 24 hours, I knew I'd made the most terrible mistake. After five weeks, I fled. I was so afraid of this man. What was I going to do? I wanted to go and talk to my mum and my dad, but would they listen? What was dad going to say? We told you so. You've embarrassed us. Let me tell you, and you women will understand this, you, you don't want to embarrass your father, and you really don't want to embarrass Billy Graham. I knew that for those who know where we live, it's on the other side of the mountain. I wound myself up that mountain, ran the last bend into my father's driveway. And there was my father, standing there waiting for me. As I got out of the car, he wrapped his arms around me and said, there is no shame, there is no blame. There is no condemnation, just unconditional love. And you know, my father was not God. But he showed me what God was like that day. And when you come to God with your sin and your brokenness and your failure and your pain and your hurt, God is there with open arms saying, welcome home. That's the God that we cry out to, isn't it? That's the God that we ask. He's a God of steadfast love. That word means consistent, relentless Constantly pursuing lavish, extravagant, unrestrained, furious love. And Ruth Graham's story is similar to the story of the prodigal son. If you know your Bible, in Luke 15, the boy who wandered away from his father, did the most awful things, and came home and asked for forgiveness. And his father did not say, Stuff you, son, you've made your bed, lie in it. His father's there, his arms wide open, saying, No condemnation, no retribution, just unconditional love. And maybe to hear that this morning, that God will welcome you home no matter what you've done. Just ask. How do you know that God is like that? How do you know that God is really loving? Romans 5, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know that God loves you because he sent his son. You know that God loves you because Jesus went to a cross for you. You know that God loves you because Jesus paid it all. There's nothing more that you can do to earn his love. You can't earn it. It's all free, all free, all unconditional. That's how much God loves you because Jesus died for you. That's how much he pursues you. God is faithful and we are not. Admit your need and ask him for forgiveness. There's a third A, but we're going to wait for that. We're actually going to admit our need now and ask for forgiveness now. 
There's a confession that will come up on the screen and I invite you to, to say these words with me. Admit your need and ask for forgiveness. Admit your need and ask for forgiveness. And then we're going to sing a song together about God's mercy and God's grace. And I'll come back and give you our last A. So we say together, Heavenly Father, we praise you for adopting us as your children and making us heirs of eternal life. In your mercy, you have washed us from our sins and made us clean in your sight. Yet we still fail to love you as we should and serve you as we ought. Forgive us our sins and renew us by your grace that we may continue to grow as members of Christ in whom alone is our salvation. Amen. These are words of assurance for those who have asked for forgiveness. God pardons those who humbly repent and truly believe in his son. Since Jesus died first, we are loved by God and we have peace with him. That's the truth about God. He is merciful, loving, gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, and full of amazing, steadfast love. If you've admitted your sins, you've admitted your need, God, you've asked God for forgiveness. The third A, and a really important A, is to accept God has forgiven you. Accept that God has forgiven you. I meet too many Christians who know that God loves them and talk about forgiveness, but, but wander through life, carrying this burden, carrying this weight of their guilt. If you know Jesus Christ, you are free. You are free from guilt. You are free from your sins. It's light. The burden is light because Christ has taken it off your shoulders. So I'm going to plead with you this morning, just go through life, leave here this morning, accepting, knowing, living as a forgiven sinner. Living each day knowing that you are loved by God and forgiven. Whatever you have done, you are forgiven. Billy Graham used to end all his crusades with what he called the sinner's prayer. It's on the screen. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart and my life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and my Saviour. In your name, amen. You might be here this morning, you've been a Christian for a very long time. Please use this prayer as a way of recommitting, recommitting your life to Christ. Today is a good day to say, I'm a sinner, but I'm a forgiven sinner. I want to walk accepting your forgiveness. Uh, you might be here somebody who for the first time has realized that you're in great distress and you can't fix that yourself. And you might be here saying, I want to cry out to God, I want to ask for forgiveness. So please use this prayer as for the first time to ask God and to accept that you are a forgiven sinner because of the Lord Jesus. So I'm going to ask us just to bow your heads and I will pray this prayer and I will Stop at the end of each line so you can echo it in your heart. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner. 
and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe that you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Saviour. In your name. Amen. As if you've admitted, asked and accepted, this is a great day because you're going to leave here this morning free and light because your sins are forgiven. I'd love to chat with you. I'd love to pray with you. I'll be at the back of church this morning if you want to, to chat or to pray. But please stand. We're going to sing about God's love and God's grace in our final two songs.